Our next guest was running a bootstrap company. There was a time where the company might have fully died. He was considering getting a part-time job. They weren't pulling any cash out because not a lot was coming in. And it was an existential moment. But help showed up from an unsuspecting place, helped them out, and they sold that company for a good sum. My next guest is Aiden Mirzai, co-founder, CEO of Fellow. And here's his tale of human helpfulness. Hey, good to see you again. You too, Matt. Yeah, it's been a few minutes. <laughs> and we're we were supposed to start recording 30 minutes ago, but <laughs> we, we just had a lot to catch up on. So it's, uh, it's good to see you. Lots of interesting things happening in your life. I, don't, I, I know this podcast isn't about that, but congratulations on your recent engagement. Thanks, man. I still am in a little bit of disbelief that like life's going that way, but I am appreciating how it allows me to focus. Like prioritization became a little easier now. Yeah, it sounds good. I don't know if you want to share with the whole world, but I guess we just did that. So there you go. Stay away, everybody. <laughs> I posted on Instagram, which is basically announcing to the world. And I had a few people unfollow me instantly. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I love it. So Aiden, for the listeners, would love you to introduce yourself. And uh, you, you and I known each other for quite a while, but for the folks that don't know you, would love a little bio. Uh, yes. Uh, Aiden Mirzai, I, um, engineer by background, used to work at Nortel. So if you live in Canada, uh, and especially in Ottawa, probably like half the people in this city worked at Nortel or knew people who worked at Nortel. So Started my career there, but been, been an entrepreneur my whole life, starting uh, companies. You know, some of them were, you know, not very much, but, you know, my, I guess, teen years, uh, my brother and I have just been, you know, starting projects, companies. And post Nortel, we started this company in the online survey space. And then it went really well. And we sold it to SurveyMonkey, worked at SurveyMonkey for a few years. And now off to a new company called Fellow. And Fellow is a meeting productivity app. Our mission is to make meetings effective for the world, right? And so that's a short bio. It's very career focused. I don't know if you wanted it to be career focused. I feel like when you're an entrepreneur, like a lot of your life revolves around that. But I do have a family too. <laughs> so I'm a father of three kids now. And uh, yeah, I like to play tennis and uh, like to ski. So yeah, that's a pretty well-rounded personal professional bio. I love it. For founders, it's often that the work life and personal life are pretty intertwined. I've never been yeah. able to split them. Yeah, intertwined is the right answer, right? Like I don't love the, the term work-life balance. I think like work-life harmony uh, integrated in, in the way that you said, right? Like it is the right way to do it. And so it's one of the reasons I love remote work, right? So I could do things like, uh, you know, work a bunch and then have to go to my kids. You know, they were just, we have twin girls, so they were part of this play. You know, and then I can like scoot off for two hours, go see their play and then come back and like, keep plowing through the night. And so the ability to do stuff like that is amazing. And also I don't like the word balance because... It makes it feel like I don't want to do one thing and I don't want to do too much of it. Like the way I think about, for example, work is that, you know, if you have this really fun video game, you really, really enjoy it. I mean, sure, like there's, there's, you know, you can play too much maybe, 
But if you really love something and you play it and you get better at it and it challenges you, why would you want to do less of it? You know, this is a concept like I want to do it all the time as much as possible. Of course, I have some other responsibilities and I have to make sure I do those things too. But you know, generally speaking, yeah, I just the word balance is not I like harmony, integration, like those words more. I also don't like the word, but mainly because it's a very binary word. It's like you're either balanced or imbalanced and the status quo is imbalanced. So it's like there's a lot of self-deprecation that comes with that word. I always say I don't care for work-life balance. <laughs> most of the things are work and most people I work with are friends. So it's just, it's weaved into each other already. Yeah. I, th I think it's the, and I, it's, we're, we're going off topic here, and I don't know if you want us to, but this this concept of the infinite game that is more popularized, but I think like the term was originated in the 80s or so. And, and the way that I think about the work stuff is if you could create this game for yourself that was so fun that you would never want it to end and you'd always want to keep playing it, like that's how I view company building and how I view fellow right now, for example, it's just... I want to play this game every day for as long as possible, and I don't want it to end. Again, I'm, I feel very fortunate to be in a place where I can think of my job in that way. Uh, but I think it's something that everybody can actually aspire to. Like, you can really get obsessed about being the best in the world at what it is that you do. And, and the reason why I love that is because it's not really about actually being the best in the world, but it's just such a far target. Like, it's an infinite game. You can keep working on that forever and ever. That that's kind of a little bit more in my, my personality. The, the, that actually feels like a great segue or like the main question. I would love for you to share a story about a time where things were really tough and then a lending hand showed up and helped you out of it. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I mean, I, I've had, I've had a lot of these and I think the, yeah, the, the point is that you never stop having tough moments. I think what happens over time is you learn the importance of coping mechanisms, right? And things that you have to do in order to help you be able to withstand more and more tough situations. So one thing I know is that like over the course of time, uh, the bigger fellow gets, the more we do, I'm going to have even more stressors and more of these things. To some extent, you know, like I want to build coping mechanisms so that no matter what, like even as the stressors get more and more, I'm just like able to deal with, uh, with it all. But earlier in my career, for sure, you know, these things affected me a lot more. Uh, but I think your question is more around like who helped you in these times. And there's a lot of names. Like I could literally go year by year and, you know, start mentioning names. Uh, some of the ones that, that come up that I don't often talk about, right, that did have a huge impact and I don't even know if like they necessarily know how big of an impact it was. So my uh so my, my last company was in the online service space. It was bootstrapped. So we didn't raise any money. You know, I had left Nortel. I had a certain number of months of, you know, personal runway, right? <laughs> like personal savings. And I think when I when I left Nortel, I was probably like very optimistic around how fast the new company could get started and how fast it could generate revenue. And of course, uh, it wasn't, you know, like that. And there was a time that the personal runway was very low, like very low. And I remember talking to my, my co-founder, Ellie, at the time. It was like, okay, I don't think this is going to work. I think I'm going to have to get a part-time job or something. 
And I obviously want to work during the day. So I can't, like, it has to be a part-time job, but I can't really, um, I can't really do it during the day because you need to talk to customers. You need to work with other people during the day. So it has to be a nighttime thing. So I was, uh, yeah, I was like, I need to find like an overnight shift at McDonald's or something. Like this was what was going through my head. And I was like, okay, this is so weird. Like, you know, I used to work at Nortel as an engineer. I was doing well. And now I have to like, you know, do do this. It's a shift, right? Like work is work and you should be proud of all work. Uh, but it was definitely a mental shift for me. And as I was about to do that, I'm like, okay, how does this even work? What does my resume need to look like? I have no service experience or anything like this. But then very randomly, I had this professor from uh, University of Ottawa. I was doing, I, I did an engineering degree, but I also had a minor in management. Uh, yeah, this guy reaches out out of nowhere. His name is Scott Ensign. We still uh, keep in touch. So he reached out and he said, hey, you had this startup. And it's true. I did have a startup. And it was one of the first startups that I, I was involved with. And, and it failed. But he was very interested in it. And he said, hey, I'm doing this thing where I'm trying to create case studies of entrepreneurs. right?" And he was basically the, the entrepreneurship professor. And he said, uh, you know, you, I have a budget for this, so we can pay you. And all you have to do is work with me to do a case study and come do two classes or whatever, uh, and we'll pay you like, you know, $5,000. And again, $5,000 at that time, remember, like I, it was, it was exactly what I needed. And my personal burn rate, I had reduced it to the absolute minimum possible. Uh, so that would have actually lasted me quite a while. Uh, and it was that extra little bit of push that was easy to do, right? The point is, this doesn't require a lot of hours of my time. Like I could have you know, done this in, in short order and it would have been fun. And yeah, it basically allowed us to you know, proceed the runway to the point that we we ended up getting this, this major contract um, post-Nortel, you know, the first time you know, I, I probably had a personal runway of, I don't know, 12 months or something like this, uh, maybe. And then, you know, I had to extend that to, I don't know, 18 to 24 months, something like that. And so anyway, this was a major, major help. And if it wasn't for that, like, you know, things would, would have been really tough. Anyway, we'll keep in touch. I mean, he's awesome. I don't know that he knows he uh, that that came at a very critical moment. But it was one of those things, right? Like I was just struggling and an email comes in and it was out of nowhere. And yeah, it made it made a huge difference. So yeah, I have a lot of stories like that, but this is certainly one uh, I don't think I've ever talked about it in the past. I love it. How did he remember you? Was there an impression made? Did he just randomly find you online? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it, it was an impression uh, that we made. So I was in his entrepreneurship class. I mean, I was going to be an entrepreneur. So I was in his entrepreneurship class. I would uh, ask him a lot of questions and talk to him. And when I think I started the company that failed, I did reach out to him and say, hey, we're doing this thing. And that that's something that he remembered. Um, and he thought that it would be interesting to bring someone who was a student who started working on this company. And yeah, I think it was it was that. I love it, Ben. Thanks for sharing the story. I have so many stories. I'll take another one. Yeah, this one is also super interesting. And again, these are random happenings, but it's people wanting to help. So I think we owe a lot of gratitude also to the to the folks at Algonquin College. Uh, so this is a college in Ottawa. Mark Hadenbaugh and John Amura were like two of the people there. 
again, like we don't have any funding for this last company of mine, right? So like we'll take anything and remote work wasn't really a thing back then. You, so you kind of needed to gather and, and talk to each other. Uh, so they let, let us work out of Algonquin College classrooms for free, um, which was amazing, right? And we owed a lot to them for allowing us to do that in the summer, right? Like when there weren't students. And uh, when there were students, they moved us to like other places. But like, and we, we were flexible. We were getting free office space. So this was, this was incredible. But the, there was another professor at Algonquin College who just randomly, I mean, again, like no reason to come in and say, hey, I'm going to help you guys. Um, but he was a professor of market research. And our last product in the last company was a survey product. You know, people use surveys for market research. So he came in and he said, hey, I know someone in the federal government. And he's like a market research person. And you know, he's pretty high up. You should talk to him. And, you know, at the time, we're not really like that doesn't sound like the most exciting thing in the world to sell market research software to government but we were like hey i mean you know we basically have almost no revenue uh we're struggling we're perpetually running out of money and runway all across the board so yeah we'll take it thank you so much for for doing that so i think he went out of his way and, and like vouched for us we didn't know this at the time but he introduced us to this gentleman who ran public opinion research at the federal government. And this guy, we, we were chatting with him and uh, he was very interested in our software at the time because we hosted our data in Canada and that was important at the time for data privacy reasons. And he found that interesting. And so he invited us into do a presentation. He's like, one day, you know, you guys can come in and do a presentation for, for my group. And we didn't know what that group was necessarily. He also asked us, like, does your software meet these, like, compliance regulations for government? Because if it does, then I can invite you to th this group meeting that we have. And, and we didn't. It's called Common Look and Feel. We didn't at the time, but we said, yeah, but we, we can make it happen. Uh, and so he said, okay, make it happen. Send me a note. So, again, we spent the time. We made it happen. So we walk into this room, my co-founder, Ellie, and I, and there's, like, 40 people all around the room. And... Remember, like, we have no revenue. Like, this is a bad situation. And so we walk into this room. There's 40 people. We had no idea that he wanted to invite us to talk to 40 people. And each one of them was the head of public opinion research at a different part of the government. So basically, all of the buyers that would ever buy the software all gathered randomly in this one room waiting to hear our pitch. And as far as they know, we're the only company that does what we do that meets the guidelines, the common look and feel guidelines, and is hosted in Canada. And it was the greatest meeting ever. I mean, it, it was incredible. So we walked out of that meeting thinking that, you know, we had made it. Of course, it was a little harder than that and it took us quite a while to get that first contract from any of them. But, but once we got the first contract, basically the other 39, you know, just followed suit, which was, which was amazing. But yeah, I mean, it was all because of that first intro that uh, that Professor Martin Toller uh, made. And had he not made that intro, I mean, that could have been the end. Like that was what saved us, right? So it's, and, and it worked out well, right? Like we had good software and that, you know, we powered public opinion re research for the government of Canada for many, many years before we got acquired. Um, but yeah, that was another sort of example that like that one minor intro made a massive difference. You know, not just in, in my career, but it, but it just created a lot of value, a lot of jobs created, so many great things came out of it.
uh, from that one intro. But yeah, you have a lot of stories like this. I think there, there have been very many helpful people uh, in, in my career. And did Martin have anything to gain from that interaction? I don't think so. He had no shares in the company. He had no interest. <laughs> Maybe he should have had shares <laughs> in the first intro. But as best as I can say is that he saw a bunch of young people working hard, trying to get somewhere, but making no progress. <laughs> and yeah, and he decided to throw us a bone. I don't know how else I could put it. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't waste the opportunity. Obviously, we were like very, very appreciative and, and it made a big difference. But yeah, there is, yeah, there's a lot of people like that, that helped us uh, back in the early days. And, you know, it's a weird thing. A lot of times when you don't need things, people are very willing to help you, right? Like when you don't need money from the bank, the bank will loan you money, you know? <laughs> but it's like when you don't have the things and you really need it, it's tough to, to get the help. And so I think that that makes a, a big difference. You know, one of the things that I think is very important for the startup ecosystem, and, and again, I don't know how many of your listeners are Canada-centric or US-centric or abroad, but what I would say is like one of the things that, I know this is not a question you asked me, but one of the things that I think that tech companies should help each other with is, you know, trying each other's software, like being first customers for each other. Uh, this is something that happens in Silicon Valley, you know, Bay Area all the time, uh, where people are just very innovative, willing to try stuff. And... You know, the other part of it is when we had built these things, you know, we had customers in the federal government at the time that were willing to try our software, right? And it's just like that willingness to actually try it and take a risk on, on new companies creating things. I think like that, that's another form of help that is, is super useful. And I remember one of the things, I don't know if you know Kyle Bratz, who is CEO of Fullscript today. So prior to Fullscript, he had this other company called Simple Story Video. You know, Kyle's obviously very successful. I don't know if Fullscript might be like a thousand people today. It's, it's this large company. But he used to have this company called Simple Story Video. And I remember uh, he came to us once and we wanted to create this explainer vi video. And so they had never done it before. But Kyle is very convincing if you've met him. And he's like, hey, you guys should trust me to do this. And so I think... We, we were basically his first contract to do that explainer video. And then he went off and built like this big company, you know, just on building explainer videos. And so all this to say is like a little random act can, you know, lead to a lot of great things on the other end. And so it, this is something that, that I think about often, which is like, you know, when you can use products from other startups, I, I think that that makes a big difference. I love it. What kind of help are you always willing to give? Yeah, so I think like this is uh, this is one of them. I mean, the things that I probably spend most of my time on is a couple of things. One is in the product world. So I'm always willing to try products, right? So if people have products that they're they're building and they think that that I or fellow could be users of the product, I'm always willing to try things, seeing that if it can work for us or if it doesn't work for us, I can provide feedback or maybe suggest other people that might be able to try those products. Like oftentimes that's actually more valuable, like getting customer intros 
is more valuable than even getting investment, right? Like the best source of funding is actually getting funding from customers. So this is something that I'm always willing to try, you know, trying different products from, from people. Yeah. And then the other thing I spend a lot of time on is obviously like because a fellow in the world of meetings. So I know way more about meetings than I ever thought I wanted to know. So uh, if people are thinking about like how to structure meetings within their, their companies or, you know, how to do that, this is an area I spend a lot of time in. And as you know, I'm also the host of the Supermanagers podcast. So I've uh, been doing it for three years now, 150 episodes. And yeah, if people are struggling with tactical management type things, th- this is an area that like I also spend a lot of time in. So yeah, probably across those three areas. I think the thing that's most useful is probably though, just trying products and seeing if it's something that I can uh, either give feedback on or make a customer intro or become a customer myself. Amazing. Yeah, we'll leave a, we'll leave a link in the show notes to, to all the ones we mentioned. Aiden, thanks a lot for sharing the stories. It was brilliant. And hopefully we'll have you on the pod again. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks for having right. me. Thanks, Matt.